Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. Dun, dun, dun. Jay. Do it live. <laughs> Sorry. I'll never get old. thought you are over that already. Nope. <laughs> Bless his heart. He's oh, I got to tune that volume down because it went all the way to red when you said that. Oh, I know. I was just making sure they were awake and listening, and I'm holding my mic like a like it's... Yeah, look at it. It's off the charts on our thing here. It's not the... Do no, it look. live. Look, I try to get you close. You're extreme. One or the other. Yeah. It's either 10 feet like, away or the like minute your you mouth start talking about it, mic. I want to like put it over there now and just like <laughs> sit back. <laughs> and then you complain to me about the audio stinks. Like, Brad, the audio stinks. I'm like, yeah, I know because I don't listen to it. People complain to me. I, I, I have I'll never, I think I listened, I skimmed the first one that we did. Right, you should listen to it. It's pretty good. Nope. Then you might correct your audio a little more. Nope. You like pictures of yourself. Why not the audio of yourself? Huh? I said, you like pictures of yourself, <laughs> but you don't like the audio of yourself. Dun, dun, dun. Moving on. <laughs> Tonight on Miami Vice. So, Jay, you've okay, been what? surfing even though we've had crazy shark attacks here. Bro, the waves are fiery. But you're the most, I, I'm the one that's like talking you into surfing when I'm like, calming you down over I'm the most fearful it. human being you'll ever meet of all things. Um, scary. And uh, sharks are one of them. Google uh, San Clemente yeah, if and you're listening, shark attack. Yeah, look at San Clemente, California right now. My home break that I serve literally 90%. Per- oh, a picture gosh. right there? I surf almost. Our, that's our bud, that guy that I, well, I know the guy uh, that filmed that right there. So I surf six days out of the week in churches in trestles right there by San Onofre and the Marine Base. Six days out of the week almost. And uh, this girl just got bit. Hardcore yeah. dude took off half of the back of her leg and she's her buttock not, down. And she's a mom of three. Mom of three, single mom. Yeah, she's gonna lose her leg probably. I thought she's in critical. Like she might. Yeah, because she drowned too. That's why the, the the shark drug her down. Yeah. Giant gray white, and then so then this so guys foot long shark. Okay, so this happened on Saturday, and then after that, now there's been sightings every day of great whites all up and down the coast. All the breaks that we, me and Brad, with our kids, our children, yeah. surf. And many other people do too, but I mean, you, you care about us. Yeah, but the only comfort I have is, uh, in part, I, I do an analogy, a parable about... Brad's uh, Mr. Tough Guy. Like, su- I was freaking su- out last week, and he... It's because I had to work all week, so I couldn't have to serve. <laughs> yeah, it's easy when you're not paddling out, dude, in the dark, like I am in the morning. Was it Sunday she got bit? She got bit Saturday, when Saturday, we were surfing we were Creek. Saturday, we were right? surfing Creek. Oh, and we were going to go down there. Yep. Anyways, we almost went down there. I think we served Creek. Um, but I, I do give a parable about, uh, you know, living the law of chastity, living the word of wisdom of like, if you know that there are sharks and they're attacking and killing people at that beach. You're not going to go. Are you going to go out? No. Yeah. But yet people know that you die of addiction, die of the, like spiritually die, like you know this, but so stay clear. But yet I'm still going out in those same spots. Uh, yeah, that's a little crazy. But, <laughs> but you're to be you're fair, the one who talked me into not being scared. So I'm like, well, you know what? I, I, I had to Statistic, talk. Statistically, you're gonna die of but drug then, use way more than shark attack. Bee sting, five times more likely to die yeah. from bee sting, even if you're not allergic. Yeah, like so you look at the statistics. Like how, how? However, you're gonna quote how many people die of opiate every day in the United States? Too many people. Like too many. Oh, day, uh, right? Heroin's over 127. Just, just heroin. Yeah. I loan the other alcohol. Alcohol. Yeah, but yet there's minutes. someone right now shooting up. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But 
So anyways, Brad's the one who was making fun of me on Sunday for being a wuss. Trying to put some perspective on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then all of a sudden... Every day, today there was 11 spotted right here off the coast, 100 feet off. Yeah. And the water's uh, really clean big, right now. Big, big gray whites. These aren't small little guys. They're juveniles that are turning into full grown. Well, and I think it's uh, 12 There's a, there a whale. Was it was last summer. The yeah, whale last summer. died and it washed up on the beach at Lower Trestles, like one of the best surf breaks around. And, and they then, freaking buried it. And then they chopped it up with chainsaws and buried, it, four and different buried spots. it along the sand. Can you well, like they chummed our beaches basically, <laughs> and now they're wondering and they're like, well, I wonder why the now all of a sudden the cold waters brought these sharks really close to and us. And then that whale they drug past down to San Diego. Yeah, you can go online and see the whale whale being dragged in California, and a 15, 18 foot gray white just chomping on the side of it. Basically, shark talk. Yeah, my son, <laughs> it's so bad right now. My five year old who loves surfing a lot, like a lot, yeah, like he's, he's the most stoked Rom ever. And he's like praying for me. In fact, the first night he's like, "Dad, well, I don't know if I want to go." Is like thinks you're crazy too. So she's like, freaking "Yeah, out she's freaking out." But dude, I I make him before I left this morning. I had Avery, my little three year old, say another prayer for me, and I feel like I'm extra protected because of that. Okay. And then uh, I'm, you know, anyways, I have my insurance policy. I love Did surfing. you really just because of this? No, but okay. I love insur- I love surfing. Well, you got it, and you said I gave your truck. If this is how I told Lex. Yeah, exactly. Sure. I told Lexi this. I said, "Listen, man, I, I survived drug addiction. Uh, this is my second chance at living. If I die from a shark, that'll the irony there. I didn't die from all the drugs and alcohol, and I died from doing something I love. I'm like, at least I'm dying that way. Like uh, uh, about in your uh, camaraderie with fellow brethren out in the water. Yeah, I love it. Any addiction news? Uh, just the fact that remember that stats I shared last week with Orange County going up with drug addiction. Um, they put it on the news again over the last couple of days. Didn't uh, James, uh, who was on our podcast, run Sequinity? Wasn't he on a news thing? Yeah, he was on something pretty. Yeah, yeah. Local news. A local news thing. There, there's a new movie that just came out. Another movement, like a tr- just trying to bring awareness. These, these freaking. It's, it's insane, man. South Orange County. The closer you get, to, I think Orange County is now number one in the country. The county itself even beat Florida, which is pretty gnarly because Florida's always had. It. Really gnarly problem. What'd you think of that, Mark Zuckerberg? He sat down with people. Yeah, what would you, what'd you post? Yeah, I, I read some of it on our Facebook. But he he posted on his on Saturday. He's like traveling the country, right? Meeting people and he's doing just something funny right now. Uh, I don't know what his what his trip is, but this one was he's probably he trying sat, to write some code to hack our brains. Yeah, he's talking about he sat down with opiate addicts in a circle on the picture, and they talked about. I mean. It was neat because I could tell he's just like immune. Like I have no idea. Tell me about this story. You know, he just has no idea about addiction, and he says this touches everyone. People I work closely with and have had family members and high school friends die of overdoses. This is him saying this. Everyone has. Yeah. Ohio and communities all across the country have a long road ahead. But as someone told me at the end, I'm hopeful because we're talking about it. Me too. So it's, there's a picture of Mark Zuckerberg. It looks like an AA circle. Yeah, I, I watch on the news. He's going around to all these small towns and just learning about people. Which, yeah, anyways, but, addiction's not. With a guy like him who's got unlimited money and a f- social I, I footprint that's huge, if he actually like, I'd love to him put his money and his footprint where, where it is, as opposed to trying to get more likes and selfie photos. That's just my personal opinion, because because I don't think social media is helping our, our is connecting people socially as it, the promise was. It's isolating people more and more, and the studies are showing that, that social media yeah. does not connect people. It makes people I don't more think isolated, more I think depressed. I, I think that's more of a human defect. I don't think it's necessarily Facebook's defect, because no. in a sense no, no. now you can learn more about people than you ever you, could. You can, yeah. So I think there's a connectedness there that's amazing, but because of our the human condition, 
right? Which we're in a fallen state, if we're talking about gospel terms now. Two-edged sword. Yeah, exactly. We, and most of us take it to the sharp side. Ooh, that was good. That's sharp good. Side. Okay, Gosh, we have a, a, we're going... Should, we're, as much as I don't read the news, I should have been a news... Like, I could have been a news guy. Like, my, my, well, my if highlights. You think, if you think of... Uh, like, what, yeah. what I got made the, fun of my highlights today bad by one of my clients. You, He's like, listen... Two tone hair, two tone mustache. The mustache, and I was like, "This mustache real is actually blonde." You could be Anchorman. I've seen the movie Anchorman, and you're wow now brown cow. Wow now brown cow. Because that guy didn't read New York. (laughs) What? What was that? (laughs) I'm. Anyways, this is a serious. Who put a question mark at the end? (laughs) Sorry, I love that. All right, last. Do it live. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, go. Oh, you're so late. We're so late at night. It's Retired. so late. I'm going to lose my filter. Um, and, and we'll peek behind the scenes. We actually do the Asiatic first, and then we come and do news last. So we're really tired. By the time we do sections. the news. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Caffeine's wearing off. Food's wearing off. <laughs> Everything's, Everything's wearing off. off. I drove to four different cities So a right. uh, news article in Religion News. Dot com. Flunking Satan? Flunking Satan. Janet, I don't know who this lady is, but... Uh, there's a lot of pills on her. There's picture. a lot of pills. Mormon women and depression revisited. Ooh, and so, that's a good one. Um, they kind of dove in. You know, I think the anti-Mormons always point out of how much prescriptions are taken in Utah. I think Utah's number one for antidepressants and has been for the last 15 years. It's high. But this lady actually dove in and did the statistics even further and says... It's not? The... Uh, I'm going to quote some things here. Overall, about a fifth of currently identified Mormons say they've taken or are currently taking depression medication. That's 21%. The numbers are higher for Mormon women than for men. But then they go down and dive in a little deeper. The pressures. And says, bottom line, Mormon, Mormon women appear to struggle more than Mormon men do, or at least getting treated more often than men. But more statistically, that age matters. So this, they go in and die because you're like, you look, look yeah. at the statistics, you have to look in a little deeper. Yeah. Uh, younger women are a tiny bit more likely than older ones to take medication. It's interesting that the survey showed that much, that's so much generational variation as with other questions. This issue was similar across all four generations. Employment matters uh, very, employment matters little, but not very much. So in other words, if they're employed or not employed. I think that's is like they have a picture say, of they're at home or not or are working. Yeah. So they're saying it's worse if they're not. No, no. Employed. It's possible that there is a correlation between being a stay-at-home mother and being more likely depressed, but the difference is isn't small. So there's no correlation between that. I was gonna say because if you ask my wife on the other hand, stay at home with our kids is what drives her you crazy. Might, you might like this statistics. Okay. Democrats are nine points more likely to take medication than women who are well, Republican. Well, that's because they're listening to Bernie saying no, no, wait, he's a Republican. No, he's just interesting. It's just statistics. Like if Democrats, wait, so Democrats are more. Democrats are nine time, nine points more likely to take. Uh, medication than women. I think that's again. because they worry too much about the world's problems. Maybe. Right? Would that be like a character defect? Like Democrats uh, are more for like the social injustices? I think Republicans, gen- if we generalize, are, are more self sustaining. Like, oh, we'll take care of ourselves. like, yeah, I, I got this figured out. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I, think, my no- I think there's a lot of things that are probably. We see a more significant difference related to church activity. <laughs> Women who consider themselves very active Mormons are less likely to report taking medication for depression than women who are not active at all. Well, there you go. If you fill your life with the atonement... I'm just kidding. Sorry. Okay. You probably don't need drugs. Um, Along... That's Jay's opinion. That was so opinion. People are going to be pissed Along those lines, a quarter of women who believe... Listen to this. I'm not a doctor. 
calm down, Jay. Along with those lines, about a quarter of women who believe, quote, all or most Mormon teachings, quote, have taken medication compared to more than a third who doubt or find some Mormon teachings hard to believe. So, ah, uh, uh, I get it. Uh, quite a bit more. I get it. Um, if you're doubting, you tend to be more reliant. Okay, women who have no children at all are more are a little more likely to take medication for depression than women who have one, two, or three children. In families of four or more, women are also a bit more likely to take medication. So basically, if life is hard, See, you're more likely to be on anything. Maybe no children. Maybe they're worried that they're not having it or they can't have it. Oh, so you're saying more children. Yeah, so it's a, it's a window. Like, no children, more likely. If you have... Uh, two to three kids, less likely. Really? And then if you have four or more, you're more, more likely. likely. <laughs> There's a tipping point. There's a tipping point. <laughs> There's a tipping point with so our maybe, generation. Maybe stay at three. And think our great grand, <laughs> you're, you're the great pioneers. It, would it be used like, to be like, if you're over 10. <laughs> yeah. Like they're looking at you and be like, what's these? Six and eight. Our grandmas in their graves are rolling over going, you wusses. I, I used to have 15 on the farm and two in the house. There does seem to be a correlation with divorce. Women who are divorced are twice as likely as married women to take medication for depression. That's a bummer, and that's just really because they don't fit in. I feel like uh, they probably feel that way. And anyways, what I was getting at with my comment, just so you know, is because I've taken antidepressants. I could be prescribed them today and tomorrow. If you went to a doctor. If I went to a doctor and told them my mood swings up and down, they put me on a lot of things. And anxiety, uh, because it's real. I have to deal with it daily, and some days are awesome, some days suck. No matter what I do, I can get up and surf and do the things I like, and I'll still have anxiety the minute I get out of the water. But uh, I don't take drugs for it anymore because I realize that that's not sustainable. Eventually, drugs don't work. And I've never met someone who's been taking something for their entire life, and it gives them exactly what they want without changing their doses or switching drugs and without having side effects. So in my opinion, if you go to a psychologist and work on the things that cause the anxiety, the root. Because you're, you're a believer in going to a psych, like a, a... I'm a believer in going full self-development. Yeah, like 100%. The, reading the, all the, the books, you know, not just A and ARP. Like, I read all these and, different And at some books. stages, you do need to go to a psychologist right. yep. to help you go through your thoughts yep. and get... Like you said, the race car analogy, right? Like, yeah. uh, addicts are race cars, and I think even people with depression... When me and Brad give these talks in the church, like, I, I focus in a lot on, on anxiety and depression because and I think we're all the same. Addicts and, and, and alcoholics, as well as people who suffer from depression, it's all the same because you're not going to meet an alcoholic who's not going to tell you he's not depressed. It's all the same, right? So this is a human condition, and the more people I talk to, the more I realize that, you know, the... You, life, it's very rare that I have anxiety that's not stemming from something in my life. You know what I'm saying? It's never just happening. A lot of people, doctors like to tell you it's a chemical imbalance. There's no way to prove that. We have not dissected our brains and seen different, there's not like a little uh, gas tank that says uh, dopamine level, and there's not a gas tank that says uh, serotonin. They, they assume, this is all hypothesis. Dig deep into it. There's no test. There's to no 100 percent test. Can't plug in a wire. No, and that. no. This is all theory. Still, every other, every 10, 15 years, uh, like we just learned about the neural pathways and stuff. Like these are all theories still. Like, and I know it's modern day science, but science is still a lot of its theories. And so reality is, you're going and you're trusting a pharmaceutical company that's telling you you have a chemical imbalance. And even though that seems, l- a lot of people are looking for that one that answer 
And so it's very comforting when they finally sit in front of a doctor that says, and I'm going way deep with this, probably too deep. This is a new section. But reality this is, is where we, our disclosure of the opinions I'm expressed. A, I'm not a are opinions, those of the host. Of and the host. Uh, I'm the not a doctor, man. Or of myself. But reality is, it's very comforting to go to a doctor or to go to a psychiatrist and have them go, "I get you." I it would know. be awesome if you There's could a lot just of take people, this pill and takes whatever. Brad, this is what they do. They go, "I know how you feel," and you know what? You're not alone. In fact, and then they go to their drawer, shrink, and they open the door and they they say, "I have some samples here. Take this, and I promise you." you know, this could help you. And if it doesn't, don't worry, I got about three other ones at the pharmacy you just dropped off. And reality is, it's, I don't, I, anyways, you kind of get where I'm going with this. And the point is, is I would, I would rather see someone. Now, if you have severe trauma and stuff, that's different. Once again, I'm not, I'm talking about the everyday stuff, like, right? The, I can't stand my kids. My husband's never home or, I don't like my, I mean, you're a male, my boss is, is, is it, riding is, me. I think it's that type ge- of anxiety. general, it, it, about it's, general probably, it's probably safe to assume that Not medication like is overly prescribed, whether it's ADD, like there's an over prescription of medication. It's a fact. These are, like, that, that's that, a fact. That, that's not, that's and, not and, a hypothesis. And you're not, that's and you're fact. not drawing the line and saying these people are, shouldn't. No. Not, and the like, only reason why I like don't but, draw that line is fear of like people crying. But reality is like, if you were asking me on a personal level without but, the like, but if the but if podcast, there, if I'd there, say yes. If there is no prescription, then there clearly is people that are taking that it shouldn't. That's a clear. Uh, yeah. But, but you're, uh, but if you're listening to this and feel offended, it may not be talking. To however, you. there are people that go right. like some crazy things with like, uh, psychosis and stuff like like they need to be in mental like yeah I get it there are some people that are too like if without pills they'll go crazy schizophrenia and yeah. stuff and there but I think it's more than pills it's diet it's all this other stuff and pills but for depression anxiety which is a term we coined up in the last sixty years it never our ancestors didn't talk about depression <laughs> this is this is made in the medical world right and I get it's a it's a, it's a, we want to we want to compartmentalize box it up and go okay we got to figure it out. Right, because we all want a quick fix. Because right here, you're holding this manual yeah. and, the, and the scriptures and all all those books. That's not a quick fix, but pills yeah. are, and and going to a doctor is, and 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 categorizing yourself with the title of depressed or this, that, and the other. That makes people feel like they got it all figured out. But reality is, like, there's a lot of work that it, you know, self mastery is not easy, and the gospel. Where, where is it say in the up. book about uh, as far as inviting people to look for a spiritual approach? I was, I was trying to find the, that. Yeah, they, well, the is that an int- intro. Uh, yeah, well, the entire program, yeah, is a spiritual program. Says we invite you if you want to try in a spiritual approach. It, it's for a your spiritual. Solution. Here it is. This is a spiritual solution to a physical, you know, problem. I mean, it's a, it's a spiritual problem, but reality is, it's a spiritual solution. Like right, drugs and alcohol, depression. Those are physical, right? They're science, right? Physi- physiology. But the approach to this in this book doesn't talk about prescription drugs. It doesn't say go to your doctor and get this. It does, what does say, it say? It does say that you should consult. Yeah, not really. really. But, I mean, it says you can consult with, like, ecclesiastical leaders and stuff, but that's more for repentance. It, it does. doesn't talk about going and seeing a psychiatrist. I'm not dogging psychiatrists. I get they, they have their purpose. What I'm just saying, for basic anxiety, I'm telling you people, you can, you can change without drugs. I promise you that because I'm living proof. Because you say you deal with a lot of anxiety. I deal with it. So if you're listening, you're going, this kid, who is this kid to say this? He didn't know. I do know. I, it's, I've, I've had family members commit suicide. I've had family members who are on antidepressants and anxiety meds. It runs in my family. It's in my blood. It's who I am. But I now have a solution 
that is not easy. It's not a quick fix. And some days I have to write it out. And some it sometimes it lasts a week. And I can't figure out why. And then all of a sudden I go, wait, there it is. You know, I had to like do some soul searching. I had to figure out what I was eating, what I was, was I sleeping enough. Was I was I doing this? Was I oh man, maybe it's a situation so does, thing. Does these now that the twelve steps not only help you with recovery from drugs and alcohol? Oh yeah. But does it help you with your anxiety? And, For sure. It's and, I came to the meeting because of drugs. I stay coming to the meetings because of my anxiety and because of becoming like a self master. You know what I mean? Now I stay because of these things we're talking about. The uh. uh it helps me with my moods. It helps me with my interactions with other people. It helps me stay true. Not just it. I don't just come to stay sober. I come because I want to be a better person too. And like, I don't know any other way that can keep me in, in check like these meetings can. You know what I mean? Because I can't afford to go to a therapist the rest of my life, right? It's too expensive. No one can. But At least I can't. But. Uh, I'll close it. But you, yeah. you share and have shared about benefits of going to a therapist. Absolutely. And, I'm down with a the therapist. Yeah, I'm okay. not down with the psychiatrist. Okay. Sorry if you're listening to your psychiatrist. If you're saying... <laughs> Real- I shouldn't say that. Okay, I'm generalizing because of my situation. If your situation's different, then you may need it, right? There's people that have had some gnarly things happen to them. So but in I, my, I'm talking I, about the general, like, soft anxiety where it's like, oh, I don't like my situation. I need mm-hmm. something to fix it. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Again, like. I, let's hey, go you back to what everyone would agree with that trauma that, with that we are war. a country in the United States. We have listeners all over we have the a world. Drug culture. We have a drug culture in the United States looking for an easy fix. Yes, it's you yeah. cannot turn on my my night TV if I didn't have DVR where I fast forward everything. Every other freaking commercial is a drug. Is it? I Every other TV. freaking commercial is a drug telling you. I mean, this drug for this, just drug for that. And if you listen to the freaking side effects, half of them are three times worse than the symptom that you're trying to cure with the <laughs> and drug. And they all have diarrhea as a substance. Everyone <laughs> wants to give you diarrhea. Nausea Even the anti-diarrhea <laughs> one wants to give you diarrhea. Like, hey, it may cause diarrhea. I'm like, wait, that's why I was taking it. Like, but they put that one so far down at the bottom. And I tell you, if you read the depression ones, most people commit suicide at a certain age group. If they take antidepressants, it can actually be lead to worse depression. When I took my aunt, I took a, I got prescribed that for my mission because I felt like such about a this. yeah because I felt like awake. I I felt like such a failure when I got home from my mission I I was yeah, looking for any type of help I can get and uh, one one psychiatrist wrote me a script for uh, some type of antidepressant pill and he said it'll take a couple weeks to take it in you're gonna gain some weight but you're gonna feel great well I felt like you could put me on the freaking five freeway in a lawn chair and I wouldn't care that there were cars coming at me. So I don't know if that felt great. All I know is I didn't feel anymore. And then all of a sudden, within a month, I started having suicidal dreams. And that freaked me out. I'm talking about real vivid dreams of me committing suicide in five, six different ways every night. Scared the living out of me. And so I'll never forget that and I'll never forget going to that doctor and how he tried to keep pushing it on me and other people wanted me to get on something else. And I said no. And so I went through even more depression now getting off of it. And I had to lose all that weight, and I was depressed for years until I found this program, and I was a drug addict, and I could have died in all those other things. But I tell you what, that that experience, and I'm not the only one that's had those experiences, I think if I would have kept taking those pills, I would have probably committed suicide. And I think a that's lot of- That's why you're passionate about this. Well, and because I've, I've, I've watched the documentaries, I've seen the stories of the people, the kids that commit suicide on antidepressants. I, t- I tell you, th- this program is n- way more than just a drug program or an alcohol program. I believe these 12 steps, if you apply it to anything in your life, you will literally find hope like you could, uh, you never thought was possible. And so I'm super passionate because I've also never met anyone 
on these drugs that really actually still feel amazing. Like, you know, they may have felt, they may justify it that way, but if you look at their life and you dissect it really deep, they still got a lot of hurt and pain and they just take that as a cope. Just like I used to take, man, that was my, my Percocets. That was my, my, was my, this, that was my, that those things work for a while until they stop working. What are you going to do? What are you going to do if the world stops tomorrow and we got to go back to the bartering system and you got no more pills, you can be able to make it. I sure as hell wouldn't have. If it was my I, true story, and then we can end this. I was in Kansas selling alarm systems with my newborn son and my wife, and I was such a drug addict that when we had a freaking stage five hurricane uh, tornado almost touch ground behind our apartment complex, it was blowing so hard, lightning. I literally have a picture of the cone almost touching, and we were running to our car, fleeting. You know what I had to do? I had to run back up four flights of stairs to go find my medicine bag because I had all my pills I just filled up. And I cared about those more than my baby and giving him safety, who I love more than anything, my son, Rusty. And at that time, I loved those drugs more than him. And I'll never forget that because we ended up going to someone's home that we didn't even know, some lady we met on the street to go in his basement. And what do you think I had sitting in my arms? My overnight bag that had five different prescriptions in there. So um, I guess if that's the life you want, then kudos. But, you know, if that happened tomorrow, I, I don't have to worry about pills. I have to worry about my family and... Anyways, I guess... You have, cop- you have coping me- mechanisms you've learned through the 12 this, steps. Th- yeah, like you could take this book away and I'll still have everything I learned from there. And I'll be able to get through tomorrow, hopefully. All right, well, hopefully we didn't offend too many people there. Wow, that went from news. To- yeah. <laughs> Woo, tell Woo! us what you really think, Jay. The, dis- the, the, <laughs> the opinions here are disgusting. I did not know. I'm just kidding. All right, well, let's... Hopefully I didn't uh, offend you. I love you all. That's just me. And if you don't like it, you don't have to listen. Uh, we're going to have an awesome Ask the Addict. With, uh, That's the, way different than what just happened. Sorry. It's very much, much more calm. <laughs> Remember, we, were, we do this one after, so yeah. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> enjoy Jay's share on step 10, and then we'll go into Ask the Addict. Chew. I'm Jay. I'm an addict. <clears throat> Grateful to be here. Grateful that I uh, have a, a friend that I uh, haven't seen in a long time and actually went to high school with and saw me before I was a member of the church and uh, saw me in my heyday of, uh, of doing every drug that was put in front of me and, uh, and doing some crazy stuff together and glad you're here, Doug. And I'm also just grateful to, uh, to just be sober. And um, I had a, a friend, uh, it was her birthday to, the yesterday, and uh, she, she also, she just passed away this last year from, from a heroin overdose. She had two kids um, and uh, she's my age. I've been friends with her since I was, 10 years old, I think 11 years old, so I moved to Lake Forest, and it was a devastating loss last year, and, uh, <clears throat> and anyway, saw, saw her picture on Facebook, and that it was her birthday, and just kind of reminded me of how real this thing is, and it's pretty simple, like, we make it complicated, I make it complicated sometimes, and then I make solution complicated, make actual using complicated when I talk to an addict that gives you an earful of why they use, and this, that, and the other, and they're, they're, their poor me story, which is actually real, you know, like life is difficult and challenging. And we got a lot of things that, that, uh, that, you know, a lot of chaos when you're using, but reality is like, it's life or death. It's that simple. Like, you know, and, um, a lot of like when me and Doug were just catching up and talking about some of our friends, it's like, you know, there's not that many people that have made it out of it. And those of us who were pretty wild before it progressed, you know what I mean? It didn't just stay consistent, casual drinking or casual using or smoking weed. It went, it's, they're either on heroin or they're not around anymore. And, uh, 
that's just the reality of this thing. It's a, it's a progressive disease. Now, there are, of course, exceptions to the rules. And those people are um, the excuses I used to justify using for it because, oh, I was like them. But reality was I wasn't like them. If I picked up, I couldn't stop. If I got any drug or alcohol into my system, there was no one pill. There was no one drink. There was no one cigarette. Like I, it was, that's how I went. And I'm like that in, in recovery as well. I'm, I'm very impulsive. I want to do, when I get into a subject and it, it's a good talent to have or a good, I guess, skill or just to be, it's not a bad thing to be that way when you get into something and you lock in, except for when you're using it for things that destroy your life, right? So, you know, I was talking to another friend from high school, randomly reached out on Facebook because he saw um, that we're doing a podcast and, and about recovery and something. And he just, just kind of caught up about my friend who had passed away, also his friend. He was her neighbor growing up as kids. And um, he, he never heard the full details, so I explained to him. And um, it, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. We were just reminiscing about where we all were and how many friends we've lost and, uh, and how he was an addict for a while, too, on opiates. You know, and, and did the whole thing just like I did after a surgery, a legitimate thing, you know, had real pain, had real problems, had real challenges, but it became unmanageable. And uh, and he got sober and he asked me, he's like, you know, what do you how do you stay sober? You know, and he's like, that's one thing that maybe he's worried about. He didn't say he was worried about, but that's what I was picking up is that, you know, well, what do you do when you've had four or five years sober? Like he see he's he's heard a lot. He's seen a lot in this world of people that get their act together and then it comes back around and they end up going harder or they lose their life or whatever it is how do you stay sober and I actually talked about this step and said well luckily I don't have to invent how to do that I don't have to come up with a new way I just need to follow direction right I don't got to make this thing up as I go I get to just go to the steps which is very simple whether it's this manual that's very focused on the church's way of doing things with AA's 12 steps you know and it talks about church it talks about priesthood but you could just go to AA and you can go to their 10th step. It's the same thing. It's daily evaluation, you know? That's how, I, that's how I make sure that I don't build up resentments anymore in my life. That's how I have accountability um, with myself and with my sponsor if I need to or with my wife or with whoever, you know, support system I need to as well as checking in here at this meeting, right? It's not every day at a meeting, but it's, you know, I come a couple times a week and I check in. And then the 11th step, you know, goes into a spirit, you know, right? Like a direction and then... The, the 12 step is giving it away. So I don't have, that's how I stay sober and that's how I guarantee I'll be sober. And I'm like, there's very few things that are in life that are guaranteed, right? When someone says like, I guarantee you this, most of the time you're like, our guards come up. But reality is I've talked to the old timers. I've talked to people that have 25 years, 20 years, 24 years, 27 years in San Clemente. They, if you ask them how they stay sober after getting sober years ago, they will tell you if, if, if they're doing it right and they're actually sober and they're not just withstanding, they'll tell you it's the maintenance steps, which is 10, 11, 12. And it's going to meetings and, 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 and not just not just putting it, you know, you put the stuff behind you. And so another person was talking to me today at work and he said, well, I just don't believe in calling myself an addict. Like I think he's talking about hypnosis and how you get out of being an addict. And that's just the way he was trying to get sober. And I said, well, I get that. Like, you know, once you're done with your disease, you need to move on, right? Like, you don't need to live in your past. That's not what we're doing here. I don't show up and say I'm an addict because I want to identify that, you know, all this chaos that I caused in my life. But I do it more so, this is why I do it personally, I do it more so is to identify with the guy who just walked in there like I was four years ago who had no hope, who I was kicking, you know, a thousand prescription pill a month addiction to five different prescriptions that I was abusing. My wife had left me. 
my, you know, I lost my school career. Like I lost everything. I lost who I was as a human being. And uh, I was 26 years old back on my mom's couch and um, feeling like a complete failure. And then I'd never live another day sober. When I walked into that meeting and I heard someone say that their name and then that they were an addict, but then they talked about being five, seven years sober and they shared that changed my life because I realized that they weren't full of it by their share, right? I listened to them and identified them like, Mo, these, they're, they're, we're, they know me, but they're sober. So without that self-identification, right, that accountability that that person took for, you know, when I was at that first meeting, I don't know if I would have came back the next week and I don't know if I'd be here today. So it's a long rant on um, accountability, but I think it's important that um, whether you're on your 10th step or you're on your first step, you do it, you know, and step one is admitting that your life's become unmanageable from your drinking, your drugs, your pornography, your sex. This is an open meeting. It's not just alcohol or addiction. It's all things that are causing chaos in your life. If that if that is causing you to disconnect from yourself, from the Lord, from your higher power, whatever it is, and it's become unmanageable and you can't control it, then, you know, you do step one. And that's in the beginning of the book. And that's admit that you have a problem. That's it. And then you're already here at the meeting. You just go go down the line with someone who's done it before. And uh, that's all I did. I didn't invent this thing up. The quotes I have are all from the meetings. They're all from AA. They're all from all the other books I've read. Um, and I believe that these steps, not only did they free me from an obsession, I don't obsess over drugs anymore. And that, I mean, going back to when me and Doug were kids, like that was something I obsessed over since I was young, like 11, 12 years old. And it was like that for a lot of, a lot of years, you know, until I was 26 years old. And I can honestly say there's not a day I wake up and say I need an opiate. I don't need a maintenance program. You know, some type of marijuana maintenance program or, or some type of other, you know, you hear all these things, the people, how they kick drugs. It's one thing to take a, you know, a, a drug that helps you get off of a, a heavy drug, but I don't need that in my life daily. That had its purpose. Now the steps, these are my maintenance program. And I felt myself at times when I wasn't working these last three steps, almost, you know, get to that point where not I was craving drugs, but I was craving an escape because my, I wasn't dealing with my day. You know what I mean? I wasn't taking accountability for whatever I was dealing with in my life at that time. And uh, it's, you know, it's progress, not perfection. And I'm grateful for this program. And I'm, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be, <laughs> I'm grateful to be alive. And because uh, at one point, I honestly didn't think I was going to survive. But I was too big of a coward to commit suicide. And I just wanted to stop. I didn't want to wake up every morning and take pills and hurt my family. But I couldn't stop. And I had to get honest and I had to go to this meeting and that's what changed my life. And I'm grateful you guys are here and I'm grateful for your support for me. You guys think that we, you know, we may go the other way. You know, you guys, I wouldn't be here on the drive here once again having the same conversation I've had for a year and a half that we've had this meeting. I don't think anyone's going to come. I'm like, it's Valentine's Day, you know. Talk about le he of little faith. Like I was, the, I, I was when Christ walked off the ship in the, you know, in the, in the, in the lake, I was the one like, you know, save me, save me, you know, probably right away, you know, and that's how I get, but I'm grateful you guys all showed up and the room's full and love you guys. I'm grateful to have a friend here and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
mic's up here. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm always leaning back in my chair. What's up, Brad? How are you? I'm, I'm doing great, man. I've been scoring in the ocean right now. Hey, this isn't the news part. Oh, wait. Whoops. This is the Asiatic. Okay. Oh, Asiatic part. Okay. <laughs> well, we're supposed to start off with ask. The ask. Okay, we're going to do it right now. Yeah, go. Okay. The Attic. Okay, cool, cool. Now I know what part I am. Jeez. And who's that guy, guy sitting next to you? Me in. All right. Hi, who are you? My name is Brian. Oh, hey, Brian. what's up, Brian? Brian is uh, on our Ask the Addict. And if you, what episode, I don't even remember what episode, but one was after General Conference, I shared about a gentleman who started coming to ARP yep. and hadn't been to church for a long time and then went and watched General Conference. I was referring to this man right here. Brian the man. Brian the man. man's a legend. Right here. So, Brian, um, let's kind of go back in time. And you grew up in the church? Grew up in the church. Grew up in Irvine. Went to the Irvine Stake. No, no anonymity here, right? You're just no straight up. My name's Brian. I saw you posted on Facebook uh, last week about a little bit about your story. So you grew up in Irvine and grew up in the church. Like, parents were active in the church. Since birth, uh, I think I missed maybe five days of church. Wow. Up okay. until about age 17, 18. And a uh, similar story of uh, that, that a few, you know, that in high school you start experimenting with drugs or weed or something? 16 years old, I smoked my first bowl of marijuana. That was that your first drug? That was my first drug. And then subsequently after that was my first drink of alcohol. Why uh, were were you offered alcohol? You don't have to be that close to the mic, but that's okay. Do, were you offered alcohol before? Like beer, like beer scene is like, what's the gateway? Like why? And I, my question is, because it seems like a lot of the youth today think that weed is the less dangerous. It's like the safest. Uh, it's not as bad as alcohol. Was that it's, your attitude? It, yeah, it was... Weed was less harmful, it seemed. You know, okay. you see all the, the news on, you know, DUIs and stuff. And uh, weed was, weed has always been the, the soft and sinister one, you know. And that was even before it was, you know, curing cancer and yeah, before, curing all the, the world's ails. Yeah, we talk about this all the time. Can you imagine being a youth, Brian, today, like with the confusion, how hard it is. I mean, we know it's like to be an adult and how hard it is for some of us that are addicts to not smoke weed, but like, let alone be 15 and how it's legal now in California. Recreationally, recreationally medically. medically, it's like you can cure everything if you look online. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, how hard it would be. Extremely so, hard. So weed was your first drug and at 16. Was it, when you were trying it, and if you listen, like I haven't been inebriated ever, scared to death, and I'm going to follow the strength of youth type attitude. Jay laughs at me. That's um, good. But, good. Uh, like, was that, like, a huge leap? Or had you thought about it a long time? Was it just, like, spur of the moment? Do, can you remember yeah, that? You I, had, I had been thinking about it. Um, I had some friends that, that talked me into it. I was easily – I was a, a big group follower. I, okay. I was never the leader. I, was, I just wanted to fit in. Was your group of friends church friends or not church friends or a mix I of I had both? a mix. I had a couple church friends who we experimented together. Okay. And I had and we and then we had a whole mixture of group in high school that we hung out with. So when you the, smoked out first time, you smoked out with fellow members of the church? No, it was a a friend from the opposite group. Okay. But but still in our our ring of friends. Okay. Uh, one of my surfer buddies. Okay. Guys surf from Irvine? 
Yeah. See, Cuevas are in Mission Viejo, Jay. Brian actually rips, Brad, <laughs> and you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> uh, Except for you may not want to serve them because he's also goofy, so he might compete ooh, with you. Yeah, we can't split peaks. Have <laughs> <laughs> you ever heard the term Cueva before? It's someone that comes from the podcast or from before? I heard it from the podcast, okay. actually. <laughs> he's not <laughs> as old as you. Brad, no one's as old as you, Brad. Okay, go on. I'll be honest. <laughs> I've never heard of that term. Uh, uh, this is he's how conceited we were when we were uh, I mean, growing up here. It's like... You were? I didn't Wait, even... were? You still call people... <laughs> what I'm no, trying to say I, is you're I still this way. <laughs> I think it's funny that we did. Like, it's just so funny. Like, oh, you live, like, five minutes away. Oh, for so sure. That was a real thing. You're a goober. Even growing up in 2001 when I was in high school, the people that lived on that yeah. side for sure thought we were, So like, Irvine, goops. I didn't think anyone in Irvine surfed. Like, what? You're so far away. Or you go to Newport or something. Did you go to Newport or come down south? We, I used to, I grew up surfing in Newport mostly. Okay. And then we'd, we'd occasionally make it down to Trestles. Like, if you saw someone on the water surfing from Irvine, it, like, what? Like, it seems so far away back then. Well, I guess and there was all the, those orange like, I would was, say back in the day, it didn't, wasn't like it is. Irvine today, was right? rad. It was, I used to BMX track out there. Yeah, yeah. That, before, and the, it was all, all orange, orange groves. groves. I mean, it was yeah. a cool place because it all just smelled like oranges. We did surf team in uh, in high school, and, and we'd surf against um, like Woodbridge University, okay. and it no was a big deal. But then there. we'd surf against like uh, San Clemente or Huntington Beach, and, and it was all NCAA, no, uh, or, or Calvary Chapel used oh, yeah, to run them. Yes, and yeah. and all the Irvine guys would CSA. show up with earrings and cigarettes. You know, the and Irvine they, guys would. Yeah, and they would always make fun of us, and we sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Our team sucks. Calvary Chapel team Surfing sucks. Association. That was my favorite. Sir, I had a CSAA. Okay, anyways, reminiscing. So Good that days. that did did it immediately kick in for you? Like, boom! I started you waking bacon in high school. You know, the Were first time just I weekends. The first time I smoked marijuana, I actually didn't get high. Hmm. Um, and I I've heard that's the case for a lot of people. The second time I did, okay. and it was. It was a feeling where I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. You got that euphoric high. Got the euphoric high, and I was like, I'm, I don't, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to stop doing this. Really? On that second time? You, yeah. Okay. I fell in love with it. You okay. know? And the same thing happened uh, the, the first time I ever drank, which was subsequently maybe only a few weeks later at a, at okay. a football game. And that, uh, I was just talking to my young men's leaders are, uh, from when I was a youth, when I was about that same age, and just the, the phenomenon of these cravings, like how some people it's the ba- like, wow, that's amazing. And other people it's, ah, um, and that's why I, I, we have a lot of shark attacks around here lately. We'll, we talk about it in our news part, Ugh. but, but some people are freaked out and our people, it's like, ah, no big deal. Um, and you know, the, the, the risk of addiction, it seems so high. That's what scared me. I, I guess not trying because of I had friends that same way they would try it and they never right stop away. never stop um, and that freaked me out like holy cow like it's and I didn't understand addiction obviously but I just saw that pattern and that's what I followed so that was for you like that was for me and um, like how frequently in high school were you getting high or so after after that first time I got high it was maybe a week or two after that I. From that point on, it was every day. Okay, wow. And it, and it was, and then it was every morning, at lunch. At lunch, we used to we used to take off in our cars and go circle around, and we we'd get high then. And, and then it was, Jay? oh yeah. Then it was after school, and then. And um, and with the church, were you were you still participating, participating in church? Still were attending you? church. Um, I was still going to seminary in the mornings, um, but 
once I started though using those substances, I definitely started noticing a split. Um, Were in you my, just in going through mind. the motions of church because mom and dad wanted me to go there? Exactly. And, and, okay. Um, that's what that's what the expectation was, and you just did it because that's what I and that and I did it too. And I had some friends in the church that were in the same boat as me. Okay. So it that was, you were going to church with and like exactly. wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah. Okay. It was like your cool little secret. Did did uh, others in the church know you were doing it and didn't like they kind of judge you for it? I mean, I, I, I remember seeing members of the church, uh, and I and I. I always say it'd be hard to grow up in Utah where you have a higher percentage of Memories. this double life. Um, I didn't see it that much here, but you did see it a little bit. I'm sure. I'm sure people started to notice. Uh, I I grew up my hair really long, and I was you know that's always a bad sign. We were we would wear Grateful Dead shirts and you know Bob Marley shirts and stuff. Which, if you're in the Mormon church back in 1980, you're making you were deal. making a statement. Yeah. We were. I was totally sure. rebellious, and so yeah, there was there was some ch- some church leaders that I think um, had some suspicions, or you know, we definitely aroused the stigma that we were trying to. Okay. Uh, and then did did you eventually stop going to church? Like what? Um, eventually. You graduated high school. Did you graduate, graduate high school? Okay. Um, were went, you functioning at the time, or were you? Yeah, I was okay. actually. Uh, considering medicine, I took uh, biomed my junior and senior year, and we dissected cats, and I learned all anatomy and physiology. And um, so you're I that was, guy that was getting high, and and other people are like, dude, he's he's thriving <laughs> and getting high. Like you're just you weren't just dropping out at that point and failing classes and no, I was, being I was, a loser. You were actually doing well in school still, and yeah, I was fulfilling getting obligations. Grades and um, I didn't get into a four year college, but I went to. IVC right after high school. Okay, uh, for a couple of years, and and <clears throat> go back to church. Did you just stop going at church when you went to college? Um, at, when I turned eighteen, or I think it, maybe eighteen and a half, um, it it kind of became like my choice. Um, you I live at home. I was still living with my parents. Okay. Um, I I moved out when I was twenty, so up until I was twenty, um, I think in the last couple of years, I only really went to sacrament meeting. Okay. Or and then I would go sit in my car. Or for and did mom and dad just think? Did they know you were n- not living the word of wisdom? Yes, my. They did. Uh, okay. I was. My room was searched. I used to have uh, pipes and bongs I had oh. made underneath my bed, and my my dad had found those. I I made them out of his socket sets. So okay. He had. Um, did you take ceramics in high school? Yes, I took. I had two two periods of ceramics <laughs> my senior. <laughs> so you, <laughs> Probably made some pipes in there. Now, a lot of fights with your parents, like during those times, like right before you left high school. Yeah, my um, was it the expectation for you to stop, or like they just eventually give up and be like, "All right, man, you're gonna do whatever." Just there was a, I was pretty rebellious, and uh, one of the stories I had was uh, one of my dad's brothers who who died of a, a heroin overdose, mm-hmm. um, maybe 10, 15 years ago. He came in, in to do our tile one day. Down in he came from Utah, and he and he had, was a heroin addict in Utah, or yeah, he was he was an active drug user, okay. and, and he had picked up on the tension between uh, me and my parents, and okay. he he was privy to some knowledge that my I think my my dad or both my parents were thinking about sending me to a farm, like a like a boys boys farm while you were in high school, or sending me away. Yeah, I went okay. to one of those. And uh, St. George, fifteen, and he had told me uh, he he was able to level with me because I I. I 
knew what he was doing, so I was kind of on his level. You're wearing the puka shell necklace, the Bob Marley t-shirt, the long hair, (laughs) and he's just like, dude, come on. So he took me for a a ride in his truck one day, and, and, you know, he told me, you need to shape up and respect your parents, and, you know, they're they're trying to do the best for you, and you need to drop the attitude. What did you think of that conversation? I thought it was pretty cool that he was able to relate to me, you know, but I, I had no intention of, okay. uh, it just, you didn't think anything you were doing was dangerous or like it was just whatever. I'm just doing this. Right. Yeah. I was, I was developing my own ideas of what I thought, uh, happiness was going to bring to me. Okay. What was your attitude towards the church? So if you're 20 years old, you stopped going to church, was your, was it just like, Hey, I mean, what was your attitude towards church? Feelings towards church. Um, just, it, it became, you know, too many rules, you okay. know, it's too restrictive. And I wanted to do things and I didn't want to sacrifice. And I had, was getting high, I was drinking, and I had also gotten my wisdom teeth out. So I was prescribed my first opiate uh, when I was 17. Okay. And I, I got a euphoric high from that too. Yeah. And so um, I had all the, the drugs I needed and um, the church just kind of was just a restrictive tent, you know, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And I was the, I'm the, I was the oldest of three. I have a younger sister and two younger brothers, and I felt like I was setting... I knew I was setting a bad example from them, for them, so um, at 20, I, I moved out. Okay. I never, never went on a mission or anything. Um, and, but, and when you moved out, you're not going to church... Had any intentions of coming to church or no? Moved out when I was twenty to San Luis Obispo, and it was um, college up there. Col- to- I went. To, I went to Cuesta, the community college up there. Okay. I was gonna do chiropractic school. I was pre med, so I was taking chemist all my chemistry, physics, anatomy, physiology. Um, but then uh, life happened and started partying. So you're being quiet, Jay. I'm just listening. I like hearing it. Okay. You're good at all I had my I had my my first DUI when I was 21. Okay. And then uh, my second and third DUIs by the time I was 23. Okay. So so did any signs there that maybe you're just like getting out of control? Real quick. So just like weed though, it, it alcohol turned into an everyday thing that became a problem quick with DUIs. Right? Yes, alcohol. That's a big deal. Alcohol took over from the weed. It did. Even though okay. I was still. Weed wasn't my problem, you know. It, it, alcohol became my problem. I had a there was a lady. There's a lady that works. Uh, she works like a, the food service at at one of my campuses, um, and we were discussing the legalization of weed. and And I said, and she was like, she's a senior lady, and I don't think she smokes weed, but she was like, I don't just don't see anything wrong with it, and this and that. And I said, Do you know anyone who smokes weed? She's like, Yeah. And I'm like. Do you know people who drink? She's like, yeah, I don't think there's anything different. I'm like, do people who drink, if they wake up and have a drink or drink during lunch, do you think they have an alcohol problem? She's like, yeah, of course. I'm like, does anyone you know who smokes pot not wake up, not yeah. wake up and smoke or smoke, smoke during the day? She's long. like, eh, they all do. I'm like, so you say it's no different, but yet you have different. That's a good point. I, you have That's a different a judgment on it where you're high all the time. You're not buzzed on drunk. I mean, if someone's drunk all the time or buzzed all the time. I think general society would classify as an alcoholic, but if you're high because you're smoking weed all day, it's a different, the stigma's not, I mean, it, even the world, not There is definitely world. a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, alcohol is definitely messier. 
And so you're more. drinking during the, or these night DUIs or day DUIs? Um, I, the first one was at night. Actually, all of them were at night. Okay. Uh, the third one was during the day, actually. Okay. I, I became a, I was bartending and I was working for a restaurant. And uh, the third one, I was actually at a wedding. I was banquet bartender and I got so drunk, I was asked to leave. Okay. And any of those wake you up that maybe you had a problem? Well, I got, you know, the judge thought I had a problem <laughs> when he sentenced me to six months in jail oh, for, okay. my, for my I was third say, one. Do you, for those of you Mormons that are listening, maybe that are new, new to some of this, reality is, like, uh, DUIs are a big deal. Like, I mean, you lose your license, you go to jail. Like, Lost it, my license for three years. It's a, fel- it's a felony. Okay. Second or third? Uh, I believe in California, now. your fourth one in ten years becomes a felony. So okay. if I got if I would have gotten a fourth in ten years I would have went to prison. But you went to jail. Went to jail for six months. For six months. Which is big time. That's like no joke, dude. From orange, you know, like and, an Irvine kid. Like and white. you didn't think you had a problem still. I as a non-addict s- athlete, I'm like, wow, come on. I didn't think I had a problem. Um, the system I thought, was down on you. I thought you? the system had a had, a had an issue. Okay. You know, um, it's always the system's fault. And I I, I even remember uh, you know drinking in the mornings. You know, drinking during work. You know, um, and did anyone say like, "Hey, maybe cut it back a little bit," or was it the restaurant I worked for actually tried to help me out? Okay, they they thought I had a, an issue. Okay, they, they tried to get me to go to twelve uh, step AA meetings, and I I went to a few just to appease them, but I I wasn't just just to appease them, but not for because you thought you were gonna get any. You had no intentions to stop. Yeah, I had no intentions to stop. So, how old are you when you get out of jail? I got out of jail when I was 23, and I just need to note here that I also had a daughter when I, um, my daughter was born when I was 21. Okay. And uh, so when I went to jail on my third one, um, I was supposed to be at her dance recital Mm. that very next day, and it was something that was awful that I'll I'll never forget, but... um, So I got out of jail, and after... I did four months out of my six months... Uh, and I was I was 23 years old. And daughter when, was two when, years old. And like most like, three years um, old. And then you did you go back to drinking and like immediately right went back to smoking weed. Okay. Um, because you and, and when you're in jail, are you thinking I'm never going to do this again? I'm going to change my life. Were those when I was in jail? I actually was in charge of doing the laundry. And okay. down in the down in the laundry department, there was uh, hand sanitizer. Hmm. And I had taken enough chemistry to know that reading the back of the hand sanitizer label, it was 90% ethyl alcohol, which is ethanol, which is booze. Wow. And it's also mixed with isopropyl alcohol, which is rubbing, will, will, alcohol. rubbing alcohol, which will vaporize at room temperature or disintegrate into a, into a gas at room temperature. So I figured out if we stole the hand sanitizer and mixed it with the orange drink that we could buy and, and vaporize off the isopropyl from it, we could make a potent batch of, of jail booze. So we, we got a... Uh, what, what is jail booze called? Is there a nickname for it? Uh, you know, the guys in there that made Pruno would make it from fruit. I've heard of Pruno, yeah. And they would make it in bags. But this was, this was a, a step up. It was pretty much 100-proof Wow, uh, grain you alcohol. Were popular in jail, huh? Yeah, we were got. You? I got thrown back into the. I got di- uh, dishonorably discharged from my laundry duties and was thrown back into the main jail in my own cell this time. Okay, was that yeah. an upgrade or is that a downgrade? It was a downgrade. Like your own cell seems like it'd be a better thing. 
No, because then you're like, well, oh, I was oh, on oh. the farm. I was on a farm, and I, I could come and go as I pleased, oh, and I got to okay. wear jeans, and I had a, a blue shirt. It wasn't and, like, uh... and I got to do a job during the day. Okay, and I got put back in my orange. Uh, okay, you went to the hard. You went to real jail. I went back yeah. into uh, real jail. Um, okay, so you didn't in jail wasn't a wake up call. Jail was not a wake up. Okay, call. what's mom and dad think of this time? Like, are they praying for you? Like, Christmas and Thanksgiving or Easter? Are you like family prayers and let's come to church with us? I knew I had. I knew that they were. I knew that they were praying for me. They actually you didn't know they were praying for you. They came up and visited me a couple times. Um, seemed like I was doing better, but I, we never had a discussion. You know, like, so are you going to stop? You know, or it was. I knew in the back of my mind that is is when I got out I wasn't I wasn't I was still going to continue you know, mm-hmm. and I definitely wasn't going to continue smoking weed. I may have had some thoughts about alcohol, but I wasn't going to stop. Okay. You know, I wasn't I wasn't done yet. Um, and and again, you didn't think there was a problem. You just it was a Jay. You say quantity. It was yeah, a quantity was a problem. Quantity. Like it was all about like How? for alcoholics and drug addicts, most of the time it's <clears throat> if you're an alcoholic, it's if I don't drink past six o'clock, if I don't drink past eight o'clock, if I don't drink past a certain amount of drinks, or if you're talking about pills, it's if I don't take more than ten, if I don't take more than five, then I'm good. You know what I mean? Like it was all we're always trying to regulate um, that side of it, which why it never worked, right? You know what I mean? Because with an alcoholic or an addict, when we drink, that's it. It's over. There's a there's a phenomenon of craving that that takes place in our brain that um, the minute you have that first drink or first pill or first hit, the rest of the day is gone. You're not gonna stop. Just the way it is. You're not gonna. Uh, where, did you feel uncomfortable coming home? Did you come home for holidays and do you have family functions and stuff? Uh, I didn't come home that much. I pretty much stayed up in San Luis okay, Obispo. You, part I, of I had my own place. Um, well, I didn't when I got out of jail actually because my license was gone. Uh, my parents helped get me a bike. Okay. So I, I was on a bike and the bus. Back up at SLO. Back up in San Luis Obispo. Okay. And um, I found a construction job. I was painting houses and doing drywall and doing a little bit of framing and basically riding my bike to and kicking a bus to the job sites. And then, because um, yeah. I had been in the restaurant industry for the whole time I was up there for about okay. 10 years. And are you thinking future, like, I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life, I'm going to... Once I got my, uh, when I was in jail, all my thoughts of, of doing, uh, you know, chiropractic school and stuff kind of... Went out the door? Went out the door. Okay. Um, I didn't think I was going to be able to be that successful. Um, because of... Because of my record and because... Okay, because the just, felony, or was it a felony? No, all okay. misdemeanors. Okay, but um, just thought that was going to close the doors on... There was also... I forgot to mention, I, I had um, eight drunken publics hmm. throughout those 10 years from so, San Luis. So from the outside, there's clearly a problem with clearly, your alcohol use. Clearly, if you're looking back now, problem. there is. But yeah. at the time, it wasn't. Like, you like, these people, just the man. there's always people in your life, right, Brian, that are always willing to help you minimize, right? They, they, they're the name. And no one else, like all your buddies, didn't think, like, when you said I had eight, they're like, <laughs> Some of my buddies started to separate from me, um... They kind of knew, hey, Lawrence has an issue, you know. Um, kind of don't want to party with him anymore. It takes the next uh, level. Gets a little crazy. Um, but I also had, you know, some people that weren't really my friends. They were just my my enabling friends, you know. Okay. Um, and they keep it ramping going. Keep keep it going. They were always ready to, uh, to rage. facilitate my 
chemical needs. Well, you know who Jesse James is from West Coast Choppers, right? Jesse yeah. James. Doesn't his voice sound like him? Close your eyes, talk. Go. Jesse James, West Coast Choppers. Boom. There it is. Yeah. So anyway, does, side yeah. note. A little bit. Yeah. As we keep going on. I haven't heard him for a while. See, yeah. Don't be conscious about it, but just, I just want a picture. <laughs> he doesn't have, uh, like, have the, the tattoos on his hands. Down to his, like, eyebrow. Right. He, didn't, he makes guns now. He does? Yeah, like right. he I like, to like see more than he moved on from bikes. Yeah, he's in Texas now. Lexi and hates, he like, my wife hates him because he cheated on uh, Sandra Bullock. Yeah, most women hate him for that. Uh, he's got yeah, um, allegedly. He, he talks about he actually talks about uh, addiction, right? addiction yeah. yeah, being alcoholic, and I think he talks about going through twelve step program and and Is it pills too or just drinking. Probably, probably. Uh, I don't remember that, but I do know he's making custom gun. Like he made those motorcycles, like super super expensive motorcycles. Yeah, the he's doing the same thing for guns. Nice. Now, out of a shop. Um, but anyways, yeah, your voice. Eight, <laughs> your voice. <laughs> and then eight drunk. So what he's getting at is that it's funny because I put myself, when I, by the way, <clears throat> just for you, those of you who are listening, I happen to be Brian's sponsor as well. <laughs> so I've heard a lot of this. That's why I'm just sitting back. But uh, the eight, you know, like it's interesting though. We have so much in common. I mean, I have as much of, I didn't have a record like Brian, but like I had the, I had the reputation like Brian. Like, it got to the point where people weren't going to hang out with me. I got fired from the restaurant jobs. I had drinking, you know, here I was with a bunch of alcoholics, and I would get fired for being more of an alcoholic, you know what I mean? Everyone else, everyone else's fault. Did you yeah. think other people were alcoholics? Oh, yeah. You, okay. Oh, yeah. Like, that's why I was... So I you thought that. I had a control, but it, that guy, that guy, I, that girl. You know, whenever you there was someone that me. was more wasted than me, it was like, yes, that guy is an alcoholic, not me. And you, you get the point to figure at them, so now everyone's looking at you. Right. I remember when I got fired from my first restaurant, I was 15. My boss who fired me was an alcoholic and drug addict, too. And I remember looking at him like, bro, you're going to fire me for doing, like, I'm, I'm 15. They're 21. They were the ones serving me, like, at our own restaurant on our day off. And my mom threatened to sue, so I got severance and whatever. But the point is, it was like, I was like that, too, where I have all these situations to the outside. Like, if I had someone like Brad in my life, like a member of the church, which I didn't have at that time. But if I had someone, it would have been like, dude, you got a problem. But, like, to me, everyone around me had a problem. So it was but, just kind of like, and, and why I'm curious because at my like I had friends that were going on that path, and I just like I pieced out like I don't know how to help you, I don't want it to affect me, and so I just slowly backed out. I just saw the light. Yeah, we'll lock you up. Okay. Um, studios, uh, yes, people leaving. We're here late <laughs> in the studio, <laughs> our recording studio. Um, okay, the church. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, so like if you had those church, did you have church friends that were like keeping tabs on you? Like you had these buddies. Yeah, you had My, buddies I, had, I had two good church buddies, and they both lived up in San Luis Obispo. They did too. Yeah, from from Irvine. From Irvine. Okay. And um, were they partying or were they? Yeah, but they they had it under control. They, okay. Did they, they go on missions or anything like that? No, nope, never went on okay. missions. These are the guys uh, you were kind of smoking out with and drinking with them. Yep. And you guys all went up there. Okay. Yep. Um, one of them did really good, uh, got through Cal Poly, found his college sweetheart, got married, uh, lives down in Encinitas, has his own landscape business, doing really good. Uh, another friend made it for a while, and then he moved back down to Orange County, and I believe, yeah, he got married in the temple. Uh, he came back to church, and I believe he is in one of the Aliso Viejo Awards. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, but I don't know if you want to edit that. No, it doesn't matter. Um, but we didn't have mentioned names, right? No. There's, there's 300, 400 people in that ward, That's so right. good luck. Um, but my, I guess my point, like, if I go back and, like, sh- could I have done something to reach out? Or is there someone listening to this now that's got a friend at that phase? What what could they say? I think the um, 
the fact that you know where people are and you know you don't not really much not, you can't say in my opinion there's yeah, is there like if you could have said like he's saying you could say whatever you wanted to me the point like my mom sent me away when she when she got me handcuffed and sent away right before that i said f you like to like, your mom yeah to my mom like who i really do love and care about more than anyone at that time and i still said i want you to let me live my own life mm-hmm. and that was my motto like screw you like this world sucks like how dare you tell me how to live in it you know yeah, I was I was pretty independent even as a. Did you have that defiant of an? You seem so nice right now, like as a young child. I just I wanted to do everything on my own, and I think if I could go back and talk to to Brian then, I, you know, I would. But at the, at the time, to be honest, I, nothing would have. He probably wouldn't have listened. No, if I wouldn't have listened. If you were talking to you at fifteen, he wouldn't listen. All right, so that's twenty something, and then so that was twenty three, twenty four. Um, basically. You know, fell in love the next, I don't know, 23, 24. So the next 10, 10, 15 years, um, found some good women, um, decent girls, fell in love with them, uh, ruined them with my with my alcoholism and drug addiction. Um, never really, you know, accepting that it was me, just always picking them apart, you know, that they, ha- they had the problems, even though they left me for obvious reasons. Um had a had one gal that her family actually took me in. Uh, she, they were members of the church uh, up in Sacramento, and um, just caused complete, you know, tornado of of a wreckage. You to know? to and, the family. Yeah, because they they cared about me. You know, they yeah. wanted to see me do good, and I I thought that maybe you know at, at that I think when I was up in Sacramento, I actually realized you know hey, you, you I think that was the first time I realized that I do have. A problem, okay. you know, and that, with this this family and when that wreckage. Yeah, and they, okay. you know, they they brought me into their home and you know wanted wanted to see if you know the relationship would work with their daughter and um, the father was a was a great example. Uh, we we would read the scriptures, you know, we'd have family in the evening. So, and so th- is this like the first time in like ten or so years? This is the first uh, kind of touching the church again. Yeah, touching scriptures. And what was your attitude that were you? Because before you're like too restrictive, church is lame. Were you mature enough at this time? Were you, you like know, saw I some still value kinda, in it? I, I saw just, some value. Or just to get the girl. And but I wanted the girl. I okay. was I was doing it to win the girl back. Okay. And um, I did that a, a a couple of times for for different girls. I I always did it for the girl. The church. So like you were still around, kind of surrounded by church. It sounds like still surrounded by church a little bit. You know, I had I had gone into the building, but I. I, I wasn't sober, okay. You know, um, so I, w- I definitely wasn't in tune to feel the spirit, or okay. I was there chasing the girl because okay. it was always that was the prize, yeah. You know, and um, they all eventually left, okay. All the girls. So, so let's fast forward to um, your, and I don't even like you got introduced to Jay. I don't remember Jay's like, hey, this rad dude, he's going to be coming. I, I hope he's coming tonight to this meeting. He surfs, he's a stud. But how did you guys meet up? Like, well, actually, Brad, it was, uh, we were speaking in our ward. So, like, we just, so me and Brad. In our ward. Yeah, because Brad's in the high council, right? And um, so we, he's in charge of not only does he participate to help, but I mean, it's also part of his calling as well. And, he uh, oversees a couple different ARPs, and um, 
part of the thing that we do is go around and educate, obviously, the, the church, because a lot of members don't know anything about this, right? So uh, we started our first ward conference, and it was in our own ward. Okay. And so we actually spoke in sacrament that one. Okay. Or no, no, Fifth, fifth was, Sunday. Been third, so it was our first, yeah, third, third hour. Yeah. And then Combined, um, Carter, a new family in our ward um, was there, a young couple with their kids. And anyways, but the, the couple was there. They came up afterwards and said, you know, that was really good. And a lot of people do that, so we didn't it's think very frequently. Very we, frequently. We have, yeah. All of a sudden got a text message from the dude. He's like, hey, my sister's got a boyfriend who is, is an addict, is an alcoholic, um, and I think, you know, he's really ready to change. I've talked about you before because I heard about you through people, but I just heard you on Sunday. And just F- kind of like, just FYI, I'm going to give him your number. If he calls, great. If not, it's no big deal. How, you get a lot of those. How many All times time. do you So I was call? like, cool, man. Yeah, give him my number. You're always calls. open for calls. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, have him call me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm never, I always tell people I'm not going to call them, though. Done that. Doesn't usually work. So I said, if they're ready, they'll call me. So give them my number. And then sure enough... Um, a couple weeks went by. It was a little bit. It wasn't right away. It was actually three and a half months. Three and a half months from so when was I a... was first given your number. Really? See. Yeah, I was. Um, I was doing it for the girl again. Okay. I was. Um, but I, I, I had realized um, after the last, uh, after taking uh, massive amounts of anti-diarrheal medication to get high on the opiate that's in that, um, and almost dying. Um, and then going back to alcohol and then, you know, quitting alcohol, but then still still smoking the seductive weed and thinking it wasn't a problem. Um, but I knew I had a problem. What did, what, but, did this, um, what did this guy who told you about Jay, what he, how he opened this dialogue with you? That, that's really neat. Well, he was actually someone, um, her oldest brother I knew from church, from the Irvine State growing up. Okay. And so I, I kind of had looked up to him. He's probably, I think, four years older than me. And so um, my girlfriend had said, hey, you, sh- you know, my brother has this guy. And he, she kind of told me about it because her brother had talked to her. And then yeah, she, I'm curious, and what she, they, this guy, what, how they describe Jay? Said, Oh, he said, because he knew I surfed a lot, okay. uh, my girlfriend's older brother. And he's like, this guy surfs all the time. <laughs> He's sober. He's you know he's doing really good. You know uh, I think you should contact him, you know and and reach out to him. You know he's he's willing to help you out. You know if you need it. And I, at the time I was like okay that's cool. And then <laughs> thanks. That's no, all. Thanks. That's all I I thought of it. Okay. Um, three months go by, and I was caught in a bunch of lies. Um, girlfriend wanted nothing to do with me, and I, that was pretty much when I. I was sitting in my car one day, and I was trying to decide what I was going to do. And I, I was still smoking weed, but I wasn't drinking, and I wasn't taking any more opiates of any kind. And I, I was thinking, um, I, can, I can keep doing what I'm doing, you know, and, or, I, or I can call this guy, you know. So I said, I said what the heck, I'll, I'll just call him. Where did you keep this number? Was it in your phone? It was in my phone. Or like as a text number? Yeah, it was in my okay. phone. I actually had to text her brother again that day and say hey okay. can you can you send me that guy's number okay you know and uh, so he sent me the number and I, and I and then I called him and he said uh, you know I think you should come to a meeting tonight and my f- my was it f- Tuesday the same day it was a Wednesday. Wednesday it was a Wednesday okay and my first my first reaction was ah, I don't want to 
go and to had you been to any 12-step meetings? Because you said you had, I had you said you'd been to a few. I had been to AA for years. Okay. I had been in and Remember, out of we're talking of 24 AA. years. I did the math. If you start at 16, you're how old now? I'm 40 years old. Okay, that's so 24 young. years. Young buck. Yeah, but young buck. Yeah, young to Brad. <laughs> young to Brad. He's older, by, older than me by 10 years. Anyways, but the point is, is I did the math. That's 24 years of using, right? Like, this is how it goes. I, I want a kid. I hope, hopefully there's one kid listening and thinks that weed's not a big deal. Now we're talking about it started with weed, went to alcohol. 24 years later, it had gotten so bad that you're willing to take medications that you're not supposed to take in massive amounts to get a high. I take two of those pills and I can't poop for yeah, a week. Yeah, <laughs> that's what me and Brad were saying. Yeah. But, uh, but, the, but the point is, is this is where it goes. And so, anyways, go on. So, so you call me, and I, I remember the conversation I was yesterday. Uh, yeah, you, re- you wanted me to come to me that night, and in my head I was thinking, how can I get out of going to a meeting tonight? You know, cause oh, was he closing you? Because he's a closer. He's a, he was, or, I challenged him. I remember this. I remember because he told me kind of his story, and I kind of listened, and I was just getting home from work. So at the end of the, end of the day, I'm even, I'm, my, my, my sales battery's done, so I'm kind of very short. I'm kind of like, I, there's not a lot of sympathy, and I'm just kind of, I remember saying, listen, I'm like, man, that's not, I mean, you told me about the drugs. I was like, whoa. I was like, man, yeah, it sounds like you really are an opiate addict, bro. I'm like, I, I remember saying something like that. And he goes, yeah, but I, I want to change. I'm like, so are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? And you go, yeah, I am. Exactly like that. And then I, and then I said, well, we'll see. And you're like, what? And I was like, I was like, you're going to, I want you to come to me. If you're serious, you'll come to this meeting tonight. It's at seven o'clock. And at first you're like, oh, yeah. And I think you misunderstood the time. And I'm like, okay, so you're already trying to back out or something. And you're like, I said, no, it's seven. He's like, oh. Okay, I mean, I, yeah, I can make that. I'll be home by five. I'm like, yeah, you got plenty of time. Go grab a bite to eat. Come, come tonight. I text him the address, and he said he would. And I'm like, yeah, right, dude. I'm like, I hear that all the time. I'll, yeah, in fact, I've had three people that were supposed to be here tonight. You know, uh, of guys <laughs> and, and two different girls. And and the point is, is I show up to the meeting. Like we had a conversation for maybe ten minutes, fifteen, not very long. I just related with you. You related with me. I told you that, hey, bro, I get it. And I shared a little bit of my story. That's how it works, right? And then, sure enough, I show up to the Wednesday night meeting, which is not our meeting we run, in Mission Viejo, across the freeway. And there you go. I stand up, and I see one of the guys I'm sponsoring, and then here's this new guy standing there. Big old smile well, on his face. Because you didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know idea. I've never seen him. Like, I just talked to him. And on the you, phone. Did you know what he looked like? No. Did you and see I, any I, I, had online? A, I had gone <laughs> to sure a couple of people. Hey, are you Jay? Are you Jay? Oh, like, okay. No, no, he he's on his way. He's on his way. Yeah, he went up to uh, another guy that I sponsor, and then and, and, and he was there, who was here tonight, anyways. And he's like, hey, dude. The guy that the guys you're supposed to meet is here. He said he's out front. I'm like, sweet. So then I went up and that was it, dude. I don't know. Like I was also meeting. Here's the thing. Brian came in right when I'm spon- I just started sponsoring four people who are there at that meeting that are new in recovery too. You know, are new in their steps, so they need a lot of attention too. So it's kind of like, all right, man. Like let's welcome. And I I just kind of like I just brought him in and I ended up sitting next to my one buddy because he's not a member and I knew Brian was a member and I'm like he'll be fine to sit by himself like. But this guy's like, this other guy's not of our faith. And he was like his second meeting. You didn't know this. but So I had to sit by him. And I'm like, I, he sat right there. I'm like, crap, I can't go sit next to Brian, who's now his first. There's a lot of people there that like are they're new. You know, then it's hard to sit there by yourself on a table new. But you did. And you sat there. And I don't remember if you shared or not. No, you I didn't. Shared? I didn't share at my didn't first share. meeting. But You're pretty quiet. But I, um, you were there. I loved it. I remember when I first saw you, I was like, yeah, he does surf a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I could just tell. Yeah. But and and the the important thing I think was was I immediately wanted what what Jay had you know I could I could see it in before the way before he shared just before when you he him. even opened his mouth and when we had the brief conversation you know before the meeting 
I, I wanted what he had. He, he had, I could tell he was sober. And from his story, he couldn't, he couldn't baloney me because addicts can always tell if someone else is giving you a load of baloney. Like if I was or, pretending to be an addict, you would have smelt that like yeah. from a mile away. And uh, he's all tan and his, his blonde streaky hair. From, <laughs> That's from, fake, by the way. surfing. And, and it just gets magnified. But his, did he have a mustache then? He had a mustache, okay, yeah. He was just getting started. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, this, I remember... This is as old as our relationship. This I'm going to keep this growing. Well, that would be dirty. All right, anyways, go on. But, dude, I loved it, man. Brian, Brian, what Brian's saying is... I mean, we're just getting into it. But reality is, like, Brian showed up. He suited up and showed up. So if you're out there and you're going, ah, this is sobriety, I've tried this, I've tried that. Reality is, when you're ready, Brian's a prime example because here we are 40-something days later... And we just finished the meeting, and now we're sitting here. He's sitting here on the podcast. I mean, forty-one some days ago, you were not only probably not willing to share, or and you probably still didn't really admit that you had. You knew you had a problem, but you weren't ready to give up the weed. Because right, what happened after? No, because I had smoked weed that morning. There you go. And I knew, and you were high. But I remember after that, you had an experience after the meeting. And then I, you know, I had no intention of coming to church, even though it was at a church. I was willing to accept that. Because I thought going we were to going to building. another meeting, and he's like, "No, it's at the uh, uh, church in Aliso Viejo." I'm like, "Oh, I know where that church is." <sighs> okay, well, uh, that's okay. I can do that. I can come to the meeting, and I'll and you I know. I remember I, asking you too after the tr- thing. I was like, "What it feel? How'd you feel? How'd you feel being at church again?" And I'm like, "What a trip!" <laughs> and he just kind of uh, smiled. It was, it was crazy because I, I didn't want to. Um, I had no intention of coming back to church. I just wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted to get sober finally, and. Um, Came to the came to the Wednesday night meeting at the at the Mission Viejo Chapel, and uh, sat through it, and it was it was familiar because I had gone to so much AA that the format, and and the sharing and um, the biggest component was was I felt the spirit immensely that that first time, and um, and how long it had been since you feel like you felt the spirit? Uh, probably fifteen years. Okay. 15, 20 years maybe since since a long time. Um, Did it scare you? Did it make you feel comforted? Was no, it was, a, it was a, an immense feeling of, of love, actually. It was a really good feeling and because um, I wouldn't have come back after. Which uh, is probably opposite if you have been in the church for 15 years and I would the feeling of maybe these people are going to judge me, like... Clearly not living a lifestyle that clearly is is uh, conducive of what the church teaches. I felt I basically felt that I wasn't good enough, that I was going to be judged, that I had done so much stuff in my past that I wasn't worthy. I wasn't even worthy to come to church, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I went home after that meeting, and uh, Jay told me to you know call him every day. And I I went home, and I was laying in my bed, and I. I had this voice tell me that I should dump out the rest of the weed that was in my my weed container in my room. And uh, the voice was very clear, and I knew exactly what it was. And I got up from my bed, and I went over, and I dumped all my the rest of my weed down the toilet. I flushed it. Was, were you thinking as you're dumping that, like I'm done? Were you was that the time where you're like I'm done I with this? Or told myself, you know, if 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 this doesn't ba- if this doesn't work out, you can always go back and buy some more weed. Okay, like you this know? doesn't work out, meaning stopping. Yeah, like if this twi- ARP, like what what 
What in your mind were you thinking? I was, like, I was this doesn't work. I was, what is this? I was scared. You'd only been to one meeting. Yeah, I'd only been to one meeting. I was scared to give up um, my weed. Okay. Because the weed had always been there for me. And, what does uh, that mean? Like, it, it's like, it always was a, was a comfort to me, you know. Security blanket. It was bro. a security it's blanket. It was a coping mechanism. It was like when life got tough. Is when life when got tough. When when life sucked, I, I could always go, you know, smoke weed. Okay. And Even when life got good, though, because it wasn't always when it was bad. Life, life did get good sometimes, and and I always it was always there, you know. It was always the underlying component. So you dumped it like I'm gonna give us a a good college try, as they say. And good, I gave it the good college try. I'm and dump it out. Did you tell him to dump it out, Jay? Mm-hmm. That was that was pure like spirit inspiring him. you. I didn't ask him anything. He told me the next time we talked. That was that was Thursday. So that and was then, so Thursday morning. Did you go to church on that Sunday, or uh, did you Thursday Friday? He uh, Jay invited me to church on Sunday, and that's when I met you then, right? Yeah, and I okay. came to his ward, and I. I had to go buy a, a white shirt. I didn't even have a white shirt. I had my golf pants. I have lots of pairs of golf pants and um, almost flip-flopped it, but thought, oh, I probably can find some shoes. So I found shoes. Really, you didn't I, know I was wearing flip-flops that day. You were? Or the days after. <laughs> yeah. Went and got a white shirt, and um, I had some ties, and I, I pulled it together. And uh, I Kings thought our family. I thought Jeez. I was going to get struck by lightning when I walked into were the building. Scared? I was really scared. He had a look. Had I a was look like, of... what am I doing? What, what's going on? But I felt like this is something I should be doing, you know? Like it was a good, it was like a healthy fear, but like you just got to push through. Yeah. And then when I sat yeah. down in the pews next to Jay's family and I saw his kids and, you know, and then. I remember uh, a sister in our ward who went to high school with you. Sat in front row. Front <laughs> yeah. Row. She, yeah. Was, yeah. Front she was genuinely still like, what are. Uh, like, what are you doing? Like, as soon as it, uh, it was Sacrament awesome. ended, runs over to him and gave you a hug. And you hadn't seen her since high school, right? Hadn't seen her since okay. high school. Let alone didn't get judged. See, this is the thing. So many, so many of us think that, you know, God's. We got in our mind. Most addicts, Brad, this is one thing that a non-addict may not understand. Um, but like, you know, for some reason, those of us who are addicts and alcoholics, whether we're religious or not, because like I didn't even grow up with religion, right? But somehow along the lines in my life. I developed a fear of God that, like, he was of God of fire and brimstone. I don't know if I got that from a preacher once or if I got that from a movie or if I got that from some other person's fear. And so every time I would make a, commit a sin, I thought that those things were never erased. Even though I heard the principle of the atonement, there's almost like there's a craving thing, right, that we can't explain. With addicts, it's almost like we can't believe the atonement works for us, too. Like, it's a weird, like, it's a disconnect from that thing. You know, does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, yeah, well, like, there's also, there, there. I mean, you read the scriptures, it's, it's the judgment is real. Yeah, yeah, and, if you've actually read the scriptures, I think, I, think I definitely latched on to the fire and brimstone. Yeah. I, I didn't get Most much love did, from seminary. I didn't I didn't get the... You weren't feeling it? I didn't feel, feel the love. love that I was... And I would say part of it is, like, you scare your own kids not to do stuff. Like, you better not, you, you know, you're raising your kids. Like, you, you breast, you better not do it, but you're going to forgive them. You know you're gonna forgive him if he does something stupid, but yet you don't. You kind of don't want him to know it's that easy. Yeah. And I think Heavenly Father's probably that way. Yeah, because when mean, I even when I read the scriptures, it depends. Yeah, that's right. Because I mean, even when you read the scriptures, a lot of it's pretty gnarly. Like if you read any of the Old Testament, Book of Mormon, some of these scriptures, when it talks about you know, Doctrine and Covenants, geez, when it talks about like when you make mistakes, it's like it's talking about like being cast down into the fire and yeah. like and all this stuff. But then. 
it, when you read, it's interesting. Then when you get the, then we're going a little off topic, but then when you get the spirit and you read the same very verse, you see God's love in there and his mercy. But like, honestly, Brad, like I didn't believe in God. I didn't think God was a God of mercy and love until I started coming to this program. And it took a year into the program. And then me and Lexi hit a point in our first year where I was like, whoa. And we remember driving home one night because we used to live far away, I've said. And we drive an hour home every night after San Clemente meeting. And we drive back to Whittier, California. And I was like, I just remember like, dude, God loves everyone. And there was a time like I didn't believe that almost. Like I, I, I took, I think a lot of members are this way in a way. They may not ever admit this or say this or self-analyze. But reality is I think a lot of, a lot of us members get to a point where um, – the, the commandments are so black and white in a lot of areas that we think, well, then God obviously loves us more that keep the commandments than these people that don't. And you can build false premises on, on different things. And, and But reality is, like, when you go to ARP for a year and you meet the different characters that come in, different people in all different walks of life, and then you watch people lose it and, and lose sobriety and get sobriety, you start to realize, like, God has mercy for everyone. And I honestly had been a member for seven years at that point, I didn't believe that. I didn't mm. think so. I was like, no way. Like, on my mission, I don't think I th even thought that. I thought, like, certain people were bad. I don't believe that anymore. Like, I don't believe even... I, I may in the moment be like, that guy's bad or whatever, but reality is I don't think anyone's bad. I think we make bad decisions, right? And, but, like, when I have the spirit and I'm in these programs, I realize, like, dude, God loves everyone. And Brian's a prime example of that because Brian... Um, had this inner just I mean just a moment of sanity like right to hear a moment of clarity enough to pick up the phone and go and Brian said this before he didn't say it on the podcast yet but he said I want to give Brian a shot he like had that inner voice you say, told I'm, yourself I'm gonna yeah give I'm gonna give Brian shot. a shot yeah I'm try I this. thought it was time to give me a, a fair shot and the funny thing was is, is the first step in the ARP program is is honesty and I had never been honest with myself and I, and it's just funny that I I finally gave Brian a, a, an honest shot at at not just getting sober but being able to receive and be receptible to to the Holy Ghost the spirit and to have a much greater understanding of of Jesus Christ and the and the atonement because growing up in the church yeah I I I got, you know, the building blocks down, you know, but I never had a, a, a very firm testimony. I had, I had never written the Book of Mormon. We had studied it in seminary, but, and, and I got pieces of it. I, I could tell you what, what basic parts of the Book of Mormon were about, and I could tell you what some of the Doctrine and Covenants were about, but I never, I never fully understood the gospel or, you know, what, what Jesus did for us, you know, what, what Christ did for us, and um, I have more of a, of a testimony now in 41 days than I've had in my first 18 years of, of growing up in the church, you know. Because um, you've tasted the atonement. You're I've tasted, tasted you're it. You're tasting I've, it now. I've felt yeah. it. And you're working the steps. I mean, there's yeah. another thing, too. Brian didn't just show up to the meeting and show up to church and then start calling me, and that's it. Brian, uh, Brian... The minute, you know, I told him, just like it was told me, the only way you're going to stay, that's good that you did what you did, 
you know, you're not going to get a lot of appraisal for quitting because anyone can quit, but, but pro can you do the steps? Like, you know, are you going to do, are you really going to do what it takes? And this is what Brian did. He did the step. And then when he dealt with this step, he went to this step. And now he's on step six and seven, and he just keeps moving forward. And, and he could be, he could, most addicts I've seen, including myself, you get a month and you start to feel the spirit as immensely as he has so quickly. A lot of times people go, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to cruise right now. I'm gonna. I've hit, I've hit. I'm a good spot. enough. I'm, this is I'm, well. Because think about it. We just talked about 24 years of hell, right? Yeah. 24 years, right? 16 to 40. So 24 years of hell, and then all of a sudden he gets two, three weeks of just imagine being just held down for 24 years underwater, like right. It's a big set, right? Imagine being held down for 24 years, and then all of a sudden someone rips you out. You would just be. You think it can't get better, but instead, he's trusting his sponsor enough who also had to trust someone else enough to, to just say, hey, dude, yeah, but you got to do this too. Like, I know you're feeling good, and that's great, but guess what a step, you know? It's the next step. It's the next step. It's the next step. Because that, that's the only way I know how to how to keep it too, you know? Like, you know, it, I know what it's like. I didn't – I cruised. I cruised my first year, and I don't want someone like you to cruise because you're uh, – well, first of all, our level of addiction, both of ours and a lot of people, most people – when you're at our level with drugs, uh, we, we don't know if we'll survive the next relapse. That's a fact, right? And one thing Brian has also said, there's a lot, been a lot of hope in this last little few minutes that we've been talking. But one thing Brian has shared before, um, that he was ready, he was he was comfortable, like most of us, like I was at one point. I was I understood that if I kept using, I was going to die. And, and I was okay with that because, you know what, I didn't think I'd ever be able to survive anyway sober. And I think Brian said the same thing. And, you know, here he is now. You know, this whole time he's been sharing, he's holding his 30-day chip, and that's, I love it. I love it because it's, it's kind of like a symbolism of, you know, how much, it, you know, he, you've clung to the program. And members read a lot about the Lehi's dream when they're, when they're talking about the people, you know, clinging to the rod, and the people up in the building are laughing and making fun of those people that are on this trek to this tree of life, right? And, pe and their friends are ditching it and running up that mansion, and... And Brian has, has, still has probably people in his phone and friends that could easily lead him right up to that mansion. But reality is right now, and in the last 41 days, he's been clinging. And so long as he keeps clinging, he'll, he'll make it all the way to the tree. And when you get to that tree, I guarantee someone like Brian, who when you get that real conversion, will make his way clinging back down to the bottom to start saving those people that have fallen off. And that's, that's how I really see Lehi's dream now is that you know, we get there and we taste it and we don't just lay down in the grass and go, it's all good. It's like, okay, now it's time to get to work because all these people are freaking holding on by a freaking finger, you know? They're going back down that road. They're, going, they're the sliding back. So, but, but here's the thing. We don't, like, we don't yeah. go, yeah, we don't go running back down. You know, he's, Brian's going to have to keep cleaning just like I keep cleaning, you know? Like, and then you grab this guy and you pull him and you go take him up and then you go back down, you know? It's like, man, all the whole time, the rest of the world's out there laughing. You know, or the rest of the people in the mansion, but your understanding gets deepened. It's you, awesome. You, when you posted on your Facebook, like you were, uh, I can't remember the exact words, but you basically said, "Hey, I, yeah, I was." I, you, you showed your chip, your thirty-day chip, and you kind of spoke about your journey. Did did you did you get anybody f flame you on that, or like uh, seemed like almost po all positive that I read on it? But I received all all positives. Um, I'm I'm not a huge uh, social media guy. I post some stuff here and there, kind of keep to myself a lot. But uh, I had people on there 
you know, some people get like thousands of hits. I think I had 62 responses or something like that. Like and I was me. just like, whoa. Because yeah. I, I mean, I get like five people that respond to my, oh, normally to my, my, uh, my meaningless here. posts, you know. <laughs> so I was like, 62, wow. And the funny thing was, is I had a couple people uh, instant message me privately mm-hmm. that started to share with me some struggles that they were having. And, um, you know, I, I haven't completed all 12 steps, so I'm, I wasn't in the spot to, you know, jump out and try and sponsor them. But I, I was able to give them, share my story with them and say, hey, there, there's a solution, you know. And uh, That's rad. Um, I, remember, I remember driving uh, about six months ago. I was driving for work, and I, I was high on medication. And I, I remember thinking to myself that I would just be content um, if I just died, died like this. And so... When I when I look at myself now, this these days, you know, the the hope that I have is is tremendous. You know, thankful for that. Well, uh, I, you know, step twelve. It talks about um, it says in the book when you become aware of others who deal with addiction in their lives or the lives of loved ones, you may want to let them know about this guide and the LDS Family Service Addiction Recovery Program. If they feel like talking, let them. Tell them your story and let them know you can relate. Don't give advice. Try to fix them. You're the dude. You're whoever that guy was. Or he did that. He's like, hey, if you want, maybe talk to Jay. Um, and the same thing you did. Like it's you're passing it on, and that's that's uh, that's. So the beauty of this program is, yeah. as you're going through the step yourself, you're just sharing it. Like here's my story. Here's my experience. And uh, I've heard said in the meeting, Brad, one time that as soon as you have a day sober, you can you can share the message. Yeah. But until you have that first, I'm talking that actual sober, right? Like Brian throughout the week. Then then you you know because I hear some people I'm not worthy, and I didn't think I was worthy for months. But um, as soon as you're 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 started, you did step you know step one by getting honest. You can help people, man. Like, you, don't get me wrong. You're not going to be able to sponsor someone right away, but I promise you, you're going to be able to help them. You can invite them to that meeting. You can share your story like you're doing on Facebook, and, and you can start talking to people, and you, you'll, you will. You'll, these conversations will just start happening, and they'll become natural. There was uh, every, every morning I get up, I, I keep my, uh, I have a, like a sobriety app on my phone, and it, it counts my days that for me. Good today. And uh, when I woke up today, there's there's my time that I have, so it's one month, 10 days today, and then and then there's like a daily reflection, and it's all um, AA from the big book derived. And uh, this morning was uh, lighting the dark past, um, and the thought is, cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have the key to life and happiness for others with it you can avert death and misery for them alcoholics anonymous page 124 boom i love it that's awesome well i got that on the trail down to trestles this morning as you're going down (laughs) yeah sir i actually read that read that not in serious you know who you were but i shared that it's like i got this from a guy i'm sponsoring i read it out loud the two guys i'm with that's pretty cool they're like, wow. The one guy's like, did he write that? That's amazing. He's like, you write that? That's the most beautiful thing. I'm like, oh, no, that's actually from the big book. Right, Alcohol is anonymous. Oh. I was like, you know, like, oh. Anyways, but he shared beautiful. it. Beautiful, yeah. Hey, Brian, this has been very enlightening. Uh, We're going to have you back when yeah. you get your 60-day, 90-day. I'm sure. Going. Have Damn. you back when you finish the steps, bro. You're almost done. Brian's halfway through, so just keep going. It's Any awesome, last man. words? Anything else? Um, you, know, you know, last words, I... I still, I don't even know what it'll look like, but as a parent, 
you know, I pray that my kids stay on the iron rod. They live the commandments and they don't have to go through a lot of the challenges you go through, as your parents probably did as well. But I picture when you're watching General Conference, taking notes. I mean, you shared in the meeting how you were like, yeah, yeah from I did General that. Conference, and you're like, quote, I didn't even take notes. I did step two and three while I was watching General and, Conference. I mean, I, I picture just your mom and dad just like, what the heck? I, yeah, just, I don't even, that's just really cool. And parents that are maybe listening to this, um, there is hope out there. There you know, is they, hope. They and love that, you. That they, would be my, that would be my, my, my final thought is, is that there is, there's always hope as long as, uh. Keep the door open. Keep the love there. Right. And you yeah. always, you felt that. Yeah. Came back home and you're back home in the church. Back home and, um, just ready to put more on the altar. Awesome. Yeah. Final thoughts to add to the hope. I think if you're a parent, you're a loved one, if you're a spouse, if you're a friend of an addict and you're listening, or if you're an addict yourself, realize that, you know, like I told Brian the first time he called me, I said, there, there, there are people willing to do whatever it takes to help you along the way to get sober if you're willing to do what it takes to. And uh, just know that, like you were saying, Brad, like if my kid fell off, there are people that are willing that have done this entire road, made it all the way to that tree, got the fruit and now got their like you know got enough energy to now climb back down to pick up your son or pick up your daughter or pick up whoever it is that we love that's a, an addict or is suffering and uh if they're willing there are people out there you know to that will do whatever it takes and so there's that gives me a lot of hope because when i first came to the program didn't think that that was out there until i met my sponsor and uh so you know this is a program of, of a bunch of saviors so you'd find a meeting at arp lds.org yeah. and may, you may Don't need to go to excuse. you've been to a few different meetings yeah you've gone to a few so gone to all you three and Sacramento around too? here yeah, yeah went so to do they all have a little bit different a little different, different people show up to different ones there's a little bit of different flavor you know yeah. at each one there's but you know steps the message the is the same that the spirit is is always there for i haven't been to a meeting where the, the spirit isn't there um so my point don't go to the one closest meeting just to you go to a few find a sponsor work the program got to get one man and do whatever you say, right? I mean, like, if, if, they're, if they're sober, then, yeah. All right. Well, until next time, this is Brad. This is Jay Amnack. You're the man, Brian. Thanks, guys. Woo!
Give him shelter in the hollow of thy 